0: Welcome to this episode of Show Your Scars with Jordan Angeli, a look inside the journey back from a devastating injury. We may not choose for this to happen to us, but we appreciate who we've become in the process. Now, let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Show Your Scars. I am really excited because I got – somebody reached out to me a few weeks ago um, this girl by the name of Danny Burns, and I call her girl. What I don't know. I always call people boy and girl. I think that's just a habit. But um, she's in her late 20s. She is a former athlete, current athlete actually. She still plays some soccer, but she played at D1 school um, when she was in college. And what's really cool about Danny is she saw that Allie Krieger posted about. Show your scars. And she got interested in the ACL club and kind of what I'm doing through that. And she reached out because she's a licensed mental health counselor. And she really um, went through a tough time when she was playing soccer, actually, her first game collegiately nearly lost her life and has a huge scar to show for it. And we talk about her scar a little bit and how that injury really affected her life and what she's doing now and how she really started to look into the mental side of recovery, not only from that injury, but now as the side of athletics. How can we help people on the mental side? So Danny and I have a really cool discussion about her injury, what happened, how it happened, the consequences of that and if it has affected her life in any way today. Really, she's done a good job to um, continue playing sports, but how she needed somebody to tell her that it was okay to play again, Um, somebody that she trusted, a doctor. Uh, Danny also talks about how she works with student athletes right now to help them with their mental game and we talk a little bit about mental toughness and kind of what mental toughness is to us as athletes and kind of what is shown or taught to us as athletes and really how it's so much more than that and why she didn't go strictly into sports psychology but more became a licensed mental health counselor and how she's using that to help athletes i'm really excited for this conversation because I think what Danny says is so important and I'm really pumped to have her part of what I'm doing with show your scars what I'm doing with the ACL club and just overall helping athletes recover back from injury. I hope you guys enjoy this. It's a really interesting conversation and a lot of the a lot of good takeaways from my conversation with Danny Burns.
1: Well, thanks so much for reaching out. And I I think I'm just really interested in you and kind of your journey to where you've gotten now. And I don't know, I just wanted to talk to you more about what you're doing and maybe potentially helping out with what I'm doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, that would be great. It's like so funny. I was uh, talking to my boyfriend about this. Like, I'm, like, an I'm 27, but I'm, like, an old woman for our generation. I, like, never use any sort of, like, social media ever. So I was, like, I saw um, Allie Krieger post something about it, and I was, like, oh, that's, like, an interesting idea. So, like, I kind of clicked into it, and I was obviously got to your page and everything. And I was for some reason I was, like, I just got to reach out and, like, let her know I, I'm into what she's doing and, like, let her know, like, that I um, I can obviously see the value in it. So I'm like trying to figure out how do I send like a direct message on Instagram? Like I'm like an old lady. So funny.
1: Well, I'm 30, so (laughs) you're you're talking to the right crew here. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, It's just funny the
1: advances of technology. Now we're like, okay, I got to figure this out. Yes. I got to learn how to do Snapchat to help me (laughs) help more people. Um, Well, I'm glad you did, and um, it's where did you end up? Where did you go to college? You said you played D1, right?
2: Yeah, I went to Marist College. It's a small D1 school. It's uh, part of the MAC Conference. It's in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York.
1: Okay, yeah, cool. So, and I just um, am, I mean, how, that was what year that you had that injury where you got cleated in the stomach? Uh,
2: 2007. Wow. Yeah. And in
1: all of your know. life as a soccer player, I mean, do, can you imagine, like, that's not something we ever think of ever happening.
2: No, never. Even the dot, you know, like the surgeons and stuff. I met like a million of different surgeons along the way. And all of them were like – I was like a science project because they were like, wait, what? Like, you did this playing soccer? And, like, the girl it, – it actually happened by um, essentially running into another player. It was my first scrimmage ever. And as a freshman, I wasn't expecting to play. Um, okay. Play. You know, I was working through preseason and stuff, like hoping. Um, But I wasn't recruited as like a, a an immediate impact player, you know. Okay. Um, So in getting there, I was like, I hope I get on the field, but I really wasn't getting any like signals from my coach that I'd be a part of the starting lineup or whatever. So I didn't start. But when she called me off the bench, I was like, Oh, this, like this is great! Sure. Like I was like, yeah. super pumped and <laughs> yeah. um, and
1: Play cool, it. play cool. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> act
2: natural. Like this is normal. Um, so I think that I was just a bit overzealous <laughs> in like every play I was involved in. I was really trying to prove myself.
1: Um, oh, wow, that's like interesting. I remember
2: the play like distinctly because um, I played up top. Um, I'm like almost six foot, so I, obviously you played professionally, so that's that's nothing to brag about. But you know, in the, at the level no. that I was playing at, like I was always like the big man up top. Like they loved. Yeah. Loved that. So I was like, all right, I need to, like, show my size, like, show my speed, whatever. So the ball had actually come over the top of me, and it bounced between myself and the last defender. And in my head, like, I instantly put together this, like, whole play. I'm like, I just got to get a body part on this mm. and, um, because I had all my momentum going forward. And obviously uh-huh. the defender's backwards to the goal. I'm like, if I could just get, like, one touch on this, like, I'll have a beat. It's It'll be a breakaway. So, and I'm usually like not that type of player. Like I'm like in La La Land when I play. I'm not focusing on the details. So it's just interesting to me that I so that, distinctly remember yeah. like exactly what happened before. And uh, and so I had that idea in my head, and I just clicked into overdrive, and I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna run full speed at this, and just pray that it ricochets off of any part of my body, and I just want to have as much speed as I can going forward, um, so that way I have her beat. And she was a bit more. Uh, logical and when the ball bounced between the two of us she protected herself with her knee and i just kind of flung my whole body at it
1: uh. so um
2: it was actually just like me running into her and running So into it was her,
1: her knee that just, yeah that where did it hit your like right under your rib cage
2: yeah yeah right under like right under um yeah right like where your belly button is okay and uh and it's funny cuz the girl was like 5 6 maybe like 130 pounds, maybe, you know, wow. and I've been hit so much harder and by much bigger people in my life, and I never had anything like that. It felt like I got the wind knocked out of me first, but like really bad. Like, I felt like I couldn't catch my breath for like a lifetime.
1: Ugh. And
2: then, um, again, it was my first scrimmage. So like, this is like a big piece of it, because um, now a lot of my focus is on like the culture of sport and and, um, mm. and the mentality that we're trained to have from a very young totally. age. And even in that moment when I like lost, I literally couldn't breathe. I was like, "All right, I gotta, I gotta get back up. Like, I can't, I can't make. We're this a crazy. Thing. Yeah, and I'm like, now looking back, like if I had one of my athletes say that to me, I'd be like, "You're a nut job. Like, you can't do yeah. that." But, you know, I can I can empathize with that mentality of just like you don't even Mm -hmm. think about your well-being. It's just about getting up and getting back.
1: And in Um, that moment, did you know something was severely wrong or did you just get up and kept playing?
2: Well, I didn't keep playing like um, I couldn't catch my breath for like a minute and a half um so they they had to send the trainers and stuff onto the field
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um but once i was able to get a breath again i was like all right i got this like we're fine whatever they walked me off the field because i had to go at that point um once they come on and um so now i'm on the sideline and i'm like all right i'm like itching to get back in so before i even got off the field my coach i'm ready like whenever you're ready i'm ready like just send me back meanwhile like it felt like a, just a really bad cramping. It was like a discomfort more than it was like an intense oh, pain. So yeah. I'm sitting there like trying to stretch. I have my arms over my head, like just trying to like, I don't know, work through it. I didn't know what it was. And, um, and she's like, no, Danny, like you don't, you don't look good. You know, I think you need to just chill for a little bit. And I was like devastated. Like that's where my brain was. I didn't even, you yeah. know, think anything like that. And after the game, you know, my parents were there obviously it was my first scrimmage and, uh, they were like you know you don't look I was like a little bit pale and just I couldn't stand up straight so I'm like hunched over walking across the field and my mom was like a nervous wreck she's like you know we should probably take you to the doctor take you to the hospital whatever and I like adamantly refused so I got back on the bus and we stopped to get something to eat and um, your pancreas like helps with digestion so I
1: think yeah big time
2: eat something uh, it usually like secretes these enzymes that help in digestion and I guess whatever Uh it usually secretes is okay within your pancreas but it's not okay within the rest of your body so it kind of like oozed into an area it wasn't supposed to be and um and then like that was like excruciating pain and I started getting sick and stuff so again like I, I got on the bus and I was like no no I'm fine I'm fine I got on the bus for two and a half hours back to school and then um you know once once we got back to school, I like I was at the point of like I all right I think I might die. So, <laughs> wow! I said to my
1: friend, Did you have to have emergency surgery to deal with what was happening with your pancreas? Uh
2: yeah, it was uh I was lucky that there was actually um, a hospital right across the street from my uh, college, so we just shot over there and. Um, They actually, they had to open me up to do, like, an exploratory surgery first because a lot of the testing and stuff that they send you through, you have to control your breathing. Like, you know, when you go into those tests and they say take a deep breath in and hold it. Yeah, and you probably couldn't. Yeah, I was, like, all over the place. So they had to open me up just to see what was going on. And then um, that wasn't, like, a major hospital. So they had to, they didn't have, like, the level of trauma surgeon would be, like, capable of doing it. So they had to send me to um, a hospital that was about an hour away um, to get, the, you know, connected to a surgeon that was capable of, of handling
1: mm-hmm. it.
2: So then I had the surgery, I think. The first surgery was right away, and then I think the second surgery was, like, three, uh, two days later because they got me there, got me stable.
1: And okay. Yeah. Gosh. Do you remember those days in detail, or do they all kind of just mush together?
2: Uh, I remember going in to the first hospital, but then after that I don't really have – any memories until after, like, several days after the um, the other surgery. It, it was like, yeah. a long surgery, and I was out for a long time. So even after I was out of surgery, they had me, like, sedated. Like, I, I certainly wasn't in, like, a coma by any means, but, like, just heavily sedated to the point where right. I wasn't really, like, waking up too much. So I don't really have any memory until several days after.
1: The and they had to remove your entire pancreas? Uh,
2: they had to remove the spleen, The spleen, Um, okay. And then most of the pancreas. So I think your spleen, and I try to, like, avoid learning anything about the blood and gut stuff because now I just, I can't, I'm not into any of it. But I think (laughs) your spleen, like, sits on top of your pancreas. Typically, if you hurt your pancreas through, like, a trauma like this, you most likely damage the spleen on the way. Right. Um, And you
1: don't need your spleen, do you?
2: No, no. Your spleen is, like, it's like your gallbladder appendix. It's like, I think it does yeah. something, but it's supposed to help um, fight infection and uh, filter mm. your blood and things like that, but
1: um,
2: you don't need it. To so your
1: what's your, pancreas, but... what's your life like now? Like, do you have to take medicine to help with your pancreas or does it function normal and you're just fine?
2: It does. You know, I, I, um, I don't, I didn't have to change my lifestyle at all. Um, the only feedback that they gave me was to not drink alcohol, mhm. Um, because, I mean, it's difficult for anybody to break down. Right. Um, but now that I have, like, a small part of the pancreas left, and it's the most important part, the head of the pancreas.
1: Okay. So said,
2: like, just take good care of it. You don't want to abuse it with, you know, with drinking alcohol or just eating terribly or right. um, because it's hard. Now they do pancreas transplants.
1: Oh, really? It's
2: like, it's like spongy tissue, so it's very difficult um, to do. So obviously they avoid it at all costs. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly with that type of tissue. So they said, like, you you know, you have it, it's, it's been saved, and they worked really hard to save what was left, so they're like, don't abuse it. But I was 17 at the time, so that was like 17 years, you know? I was yeah. In college, I was like, Wait.
1: Right, <laughs> right. um, so that you're... the only
2: restriction now. There's no, um, no, other, no
1: other. But at first, you know, they told you, too, that you probably wouldn't be able to play soccer again. I think that's what you said? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Every, everybody that I came into contact with, like, it wasn't even a conversation. It was like, oh, that's so sad. Danny can never play again. You know, like my friends and family just assumed. Oh, even
1: um, the doctors tell you that or that was just the. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All the doctors except for my, um, the trauma surgeon who did the surgery. So I had like 3 million doctors that like handled all different aspects of my care and they were all, like, absolutely not, never play again. Um, and my surgeon was, like, this med scientist kind of guy. Like, everywhere he went in the hospital, he had, like, a million students, like, following him like ducklings. So he was, like, a genius. And mm-hmm. I just felt like he, like, thought about things in a different way. And he, I was just looking for permission from one person. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I just need a doctor to tell me that I can play again. Right. And all, everybody else was like, absolutely not, never play again. But he was like, um, he said to me, I look at it this way, you have one less thing to hurt now. No way. (laughs) So I was like, all right, I'll take that one. I'm going to go with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, my gosh. That is so funny that he said that. Yeah. And for you, just such a, like, a positive. Yeah. Oh, wow. When I was young,
2: like, I had, like, a kid's brain. I wasn't thinking about any long-term consequences or, you know, the, the real, like, um, I don't know, like life or death questions, and my mom was asking if I was going to be able to have kids, and that was like, I didn't. even, I was like, What? Um, that's not for. You're like I'm
1: seventeen. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So for me, it was just about like when, when can I play again? You know, when can I play? Mm-hmm. When can I play again? So it was just such a relief to get that news. finally. Yeah. Because he wasn't one that was like checking in on me every day. He was like, like I said, he was kind of like this famous guy in the hospital. So he would kind of pop in every like week or so every other week. And, um, and so it's such a relief to get that, get that. From
1: oh. And probably someone that you trusted too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you could tell he's a like well-respected guy and just a very intelligent, intelligent guy. So yeah. All right. That's what I needed. If I'm going to get a, a yes answer, I want it to be from the smartest guy.
1: <laughs> so how did your, did your mentality change at all after that? Like what was the recovery back to, Sport like, cause I imagine even just the recovery from a surgery like that, being in your abdomen, um, your core, you know, such a s a a key part of just living and then, you know, success in sport, you have to have a strong core. So it probably took you a while to get back, but did yeah. you, what, what like helped you get through that part of it?
2: Well, um, I had to come home. I had to miss the whole first semester cause I was in the hospital and then I had to have like home care, so that, I think that that was really um, – that was the most challenging part for me, I'd say, because I was uh, completely removed from, like, my normal environment and mm-hmm. from the environment that, like, all of my friends had kind of moved on to. And so I felt very isolated for because of that. And then on top of it, it was just, like, uh, re-exposure to the trauma every day. Like, the nurse had to come in, and, like, I have, like, a 14-inch scar from my – like, from my chest below my belly button – and they, like, wow. it, like, it was, like, the grossest care type thing. I had this, like, machine that, like, sucked everything out of it. It was, like, yeah. the most, like, gruesome thing
1: it's very for several weeks. Yeah.
2: And then, you know, not being able to walk, not being able to bathe myself, not being able to, you know, it's just, it's such a shot to your confidence. And I remember, like, talking to my parents, like, I can't even... I can't even walk or, like, shower without you. Like, I, I couldn't fathom the idea of, like, running again.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, so, like I can't I, even, like, there's something coming out of my stomach. I I don't know how I'm going to run when yeah,
2: I... Yeah, I'm like, I can't even stand up straight. Like, I know they said it, but I don't even believe at this point that I'll be able to walk. You know, and that, that was wow. the thing for me is that, like, I started out when i was in the hospital and not really aware of anything uh just thinking like oh i'm going to be fine and that was a huge strength for me being in that mindset um uh you know truly believing like oh what nothing I, I, like that i was invincible and then when i was home and kind of coming to uh my mentality changed dramatically
1: um what do you I think, think that switched one? that
2: i think just reality you know like yeah. if if you have if you have an injury like a like a broken bone, the trauma of that experience. It happens. You get it addressed, and you're in a cast, and that, right. it's like a very clear recovery period. Totally. Recovery yeah, yeah. Past. But I was talking to my boyfriend about this last night. When it's something like ha- that happened to me, or even like an ACL injury, like the path to recovery is not always predictable. You know, and if the end the end result is not the same for everyone. And so, like, when you're at these different stages, it's a, it, it's not like, all right, now I have my cast, and in eight weeks I get it off, I'm going to be fine. It's like, what's going to happen next week? Am I going to be – can I stand up straight next week, or am I not uh-huh. going to be able to walk for, you know, ten weeks or whatever, you know? And then I think just being exposed to that for such a long period of time, it was just constant trauma, and I started to believe, like, this is never, this is never going to get better. Like, I'm never going to be – I'm never going to be – able to walk fast, let alone run and be the same player that I was.
1: Yeah.
2: And then that makes you question everything because, you know, growing up playing a sport, like that became my entire identity.
1: Yeah, for sure. Or what we think is our identity at the time, like exactly. what we associate most most with and we don't realize, like, that's not our true identity right, right. until later on. But um, right. do you think that you – I know during my my ACLs, I felt like I I'm sh- I'm sure I was depressed for like yeah. could have clinically taken medicine oh, yeah. for depression. Yep. Did you face those same kind of like low lows?
2: Oh, absolutely. And now you know it was, it was kind of serendipitous that I was like at school my freshman year, not really sure what I wanted to do with my life, and then when I got yeah. back to
1: school, yeah, I, which was uh, how long after that.
2: Um, I went back, uh, the next semester. So it happened in August and I returned that following January. Like I was allowed to live on campus, but I wasn't allowed to play for like a year.
1: Right. Okay.
2: Um, maybe a year and a half. Yeah, I think a year and a half. Um, but it was it was kind of – it worked out nicely because when I went back to school, I was like, all right, let me – you know, I had to think about my major and what I wanted to do with my life. I'm like, let me try psychology because I love my guidance counselor. Maybe that's, like, the route that I want to go. And so during my recovery process, I was learning about, like, how the brain works, how we manage our emotions, the impact of trauma. The, and, and I was like, wait, like this – you know, because a lot of times in the textbooks, they're not talking about trauma as it relates to athletes – I was kind of laying what I was learning in school onto my life and I think it allowed me to just uh recover in a different way. I think typically with athletes, you know, they focus on their physical recovery first and mm-hmm. their their mental health is if they're lucky like a supplement to their physical care or it's nothing at all. And um and I think it really needs to be the opposite. I think the, the trauma of the injury, and to other people outside of sport, that sounds dramatic, but the trauma of the injury itself and then the impact that it has on an athlete's life needs to be processed and dealt with first, and only then are they, like, truly ready to do the physical work or yeah. capable of doing the physical work to get back to playing. You know what I mean? so I, I am
1: that, 100% with you on that.
2: Yeah, and, like, in the moment, like, I distinctly remember people asking me, like, um how are you feeling? Like, are you okay to go back to school? Like, I know you're, the doctors cleared you, but are you okay to go back to school? Like, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? And I I just, I had been conditioned to lie and say like, yeah, I'm fine. You know what I mean? Like I'm an athlete, like I'm never going to admit, what am I going to say to my coach that I'm tired? Like I'm never going to answer honestly to those questions. And it was so innate. Like it was, I was not aware that I was doing it. Like now in hindsight, I can look back and say like, wow, like I had, I had no ability to be self-aware of my emotions and certainly no skills to communicate those emotions to the people around me. Right. And so like now that's that's what fuels my work is that, you know, understanding that the culture of sport has countless benefits and I'm still a student of sport for the rest of my life, a fan, a lover of all things sports, mm-hmm. but I'm also able to recognize that there are a lot of things about how we operate within athletics That, you know, set athletes up to do the same things that I did, you know, uh, to themselves the right to know their emotions, identify and, like, validate their emotions and to communicate to people what they truly need and,
1: Uh um, you know. Like, we're almost taught that mental strength is, like, saying I'm okay or toughing something out or um, playing through pain when, like, mental strength is – it can be toughing things out in moments and it can be being strong and saying, no, I can't do that. You know, it can be, it's such a spectrum of things. It's, It's in sports. I feel like maybe we're just taught be mentally tough is like pushing through pain and in injury recovery, especially with something traumatic like an ACL or Achilles or even something that, you know, as severe as what you had, it's not you can't toss it out like it's almost laughable to to think like you're in pain or like you can't even walk and you're trying to ride the bike for an hour like right right yeah
2: yeah it's and but it's it's like sick to think of like but also I think it had something to do with um like the age group I was in when it happened too because like it's it's more difficult to like have this higher order thinking. When you're 17 or 18, like, it's just just in the moment. It's immediate gratification. What do you need to do to get what you want now?
0: And Mm -hmm. obviously
2: now, many years later, it's kind of like I'm looking back with a different brain. So these thoughts that I have now are like an unfair um, expectation to have for a 17-year-old. But I do think that they can benefit from, like, education and training on how to achieve these things. I would say, like – with uh with a lot of my clients and stuff I tell them like when you say you roll your ankle this is obviously relevant to all soccer players when you roll mm-hmm. your ankle and you go um and see an athletic trainer one of the first things that they do is massage through that scar tissue right. um and it's like the worst pain in the world and I used to like beg the trainers like please stop why on earth are you putting me through this pain and they would say like we could we could leave it and it'll probably heal up and you might hobble or not be able to run comfortably or you know you'll be okay but you're never going to be 100 percent or we Mm. can spend the time now and have you endure the pain the initial pain and i'm here for you i know that i'm not going to hurt you anymore and i can kind of guide you through it and you're going to have full range of motion and be able to run 100 percent again and it's the same thing with the traumas that we experience in life in sport or anywhere else in life you People all the time say like I don't want to go to therapy because I don't want to kick up all the hardest, most painful things in my life,
1: and I get that.
2: But if you don't, they stay there forever. Those things. Yeah. So I feel. And then then they
1: create maybe you know, or wrong reactions to things because you have held something in and you don't even realize it's coming from that spot, but you're reacting from a a place that. Um, painful because you haven't dealt with the pain, you haven't sat in the pain and said, "Okay, I accept this. How right. can I get better from this?" Right, right.
2: And so it's like this ripple effect that happens. So I feel think, like athletes, they need yeah. that. They need that time to process the trauma. With some, obviously, with people around them with support that can help keep them safe to do that yeah. safely. Yeah. Yeah. They need that, and I think that that's you know that's something that's missing.
1: Yeah. Do you think that athletes? Um, deal with trauma differently than non-athletes.
2: Oh yeah, I think so. Like I said, a lot of um, a lot of the work that I do is kind of fueled by my study of my experience with and like my understanding of the. Co- I I try to put a word to it, but I just say like the culture of sport. I think that like we were saying before, it just it kind of sets athletes up to function in a certain way um just like you know people in the military they just function differently Uh because there's a culture that they're immersed in that guides what they say how they say it when they say it what to think what's their value system and that's what makes us who we are so i feel like to not consider our role as athletes in considering how we experience the world is like ignorant it's especially, like, competitive athletes that make their sport their life. We didn't, I'm sure you are the same way. Like, I didn't know anything besides soccer and soccer tournaments and my soccer friends and my soccer interests and my parents at my soccer games. And, you know, I didn't know the world without soccer. Mm -hmm. So I think um, absolutely that that athletes um, experience trauma differently, experience everything differently than people who have not
1: grown up in sport. Yeah. And now you're kind of. Do you feel like you battle between this idea of because you know competition has to have a lot to do with that. You know our need to compete as athletes yeah, drives yeah. us to do stupid things at times or yeah. things that feel wrong in our gut, but we do it anyways because we're like mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta prove that I can do this or I gotta That's win right. this game or make this team. Where whereas you do you feel like with what you're doing you have to walk this delicate balance between like compete but also know what your brain and your like be in touch with your mental like true mental side of yeah yeah uh, being a human or even being an athlete
2: absolutely because I think that um, a lot of times athletes take solace in their sport and they use their sport as their coping skill and um, it's uh yeah. you know a place for them to escape to and I totally know that because I I agree with that as well like, yeah
1: it's that so was mine that,
2: like my sport was like the thing that literally almost killed me like they had to sit my parents down and say like we're going to do this but we don't know if she's going to make it there's a 40% chance she's not going to make it sign this paper like you know I know that my sport almost killed me but I also look back and say like if I didn't go back to playing I don't know yeah. where I'd be I right. really don't, like, if I didn't have that guiding me back, motivating me toward getting better when mm-hmm. I couldn't, when I felt like I couldn't walk, if I yeah. didn't think like, oh, well, I better get walking because I got to get running and I got to get playing. If I didn't have that pushing me, I
1: don't know. Where you would have ended up. Have out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And how, how was it? So it took a, a year and a half ish, you said to get yeah. back. And do you remember the the day that you got to get back on the field and play?
2: Yeah, it was um, it was crazy. I, I like I said, I wasn't even admitting to myself that I was scared to death, but I was scared to death. And I would have like these panic like episodes, which at, at the time I'd be like panic attack, like that's not even real. But um, like, scared to would, death of
1: what? Like, what do you think you were scared of?
2: Uh, not getting hurt again, but not being good enough.
1: Mm. Whoa.
2: You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't afraid of, I was fearless. Like I said, I had this, like, young person's brain. um, So I was not thinking, like, well, what if I get hit in the stomach again and they get the rest of my pancreas? What happened? Like, that thought really, truly didn't scare me. What scared me was, what if I step on the field and I suck? And that became, you know, that became my new identity was not good enough. And so wow. I, I was able to, like, looking back at my college career, I don't think I recovered during my college career. I think now when I play for leisure, finally started to get to a place where I can play and enjoy myself and not be scared to death of that, of not being good enough. Do
1: and you think it's actually- because you let go of that feeling of, like, you're enough or, like, the, yeah. the chain of the pressure that you put on yourself to be something that was really in your mind of like, this is what I have to be. Like we create this, this boundary within ourselves. Like if we don't, if we're not this, then we're not enough. Right.
2: Right. Yes. And I think that when I was in, when I was in college, I, I got back to playing again and I was a fairly effective player, but I wasn't, I wasn't in the game. Like I didn't, I, it's it was such like a conflictual relationship with soccer because on one hand I was so grateful to be back playing and I felt so happy to just be on the field and like on the surface level I was like so excited to just be back in it but now looking back on that experience I recognize like I wasn't able to truly enjoy playing and it was and it was in games. It wasn't in practice. I kept I would always say to myself, Why can I be so effective in practice but I can't do it in games? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I, we would scrimmage and stuff, and I'd be, like, mm-hmm. four in a million goals, like, goofing off, like, having a great time. But, like being intense and getting shit done, it was great. So that's why I just, like, loved it so much. It was my soul. But then I would get to the game. I would almost, like, dread games because right from the morning I would start with, like, I would just feel sick. And then I would be, like, oh, I'm not feeling so well today, whatever, like, every weekend. And it's funny how, mm-hmm. like, you don't put two and two together. But I was like, you know, not feeling well, whatever. Then I'd get to the game, and I bought like nine hundred pairs of cleats because I was like, my cleats are too tight. My cleats are always too tight. Like my my feet would literally get numb. I couldn't feel my feet when I would step on the on the field. And then here I am, like trying to play in the game when I have like tingly feet, and I'm just like because you were off. so nervous, right? And then like I would, I worked, you know, to get back into shape and everything, and I was in great shape. Like we would do the Cooper test and whatever, and I was, I was passing everything. Like, I was in shape. I was in game shape. I was effective in practice. And then I would get to the game. I would make ru- one run and I would be, like, exhausted. And looking back, like, I wasn't out of shape physically. I was like, panicking. I was in a constant state of panic. And so, like, all of my energy was going to that. So I thought I was physically exhausted and I went to a million doctors. I changed my diet. I saw a nutritionist. Because mm-hmm. like, I was trying to deal with it physically and it wasn't physical. You know, huh. now looking back, yeah. I'm like, nobody sought to, like, say, like, maybe you're just a nervous wreck, you know, right. like, maybe but that that
1: was the anxiety attacks that you,
2: yeah, yeah, and it was, it was, and I didn't know anything about it, so as I was going through school, and I'm kind of learning about it, I'm like, oh, like, I kind of, I get really, you know, tingly before games, and I think that's a very common thing for athletes, that before they, and, you know, even the generation of young players now that are in college are very different from us. Even though I like to consider myself a part of that generation, I don't think yeah. we are anymore.
1: Yeah, um, we're not. They're a
2: lot. They're a lot more aware of like mental health and mental health issues and stuff. And so, like now, athletes identify themselves that they want to see someone. But that's not always the case. But I think yeah, that um,
1: I think they are, but they're also in a world where it's like filled with comparison.
2: Yeah.
1: Like the social media world, you're always looking at someone who looks. And, and it's that idea that you were just saying. I was talking with a friend of mine, Jamie Gilbert. He's written a few really great books. I actually will, will send you a copy of one that he just wrote called The Principal Circle. Um, and he was talking about, you know, the greatest thing that we suffer for is not feel is enough. It's just enough. We don't feel like we're pretty enough, or good enough, or talented enough, and um, kind of building up the principal circle is all about building like what your principles are and living in that circle of like i am enough i um live by these principles and that you know makes me truly believe that what i'm doing and i'm enough right so
2: yeah and that i feel like that's that's not a le- level of um you know, it's it's not confidence, like, I think I'm the greatest. I think it's confidence in, like, what you just said, just, like, an acceptance of myself and who I am and, like, an acceptance of that. And it was really hard to get to, but such a relief when I could actually do that and say, like, I think I'm doing good. You know, I think I'm doing yeah. good this whole life thing, this whole soccer thing everything with my job and my really like I think I'm doing pretty well and I because like you said I'm kind of sticking to my values and I and I know right from wrong as as it you know pertains to me in my life and and if I can stick to those things like I'm my own gauge of being good enough
1: like that doesn't have to be provided to me from the outside Mm -hmm. So, so you you kind of took what you your injury hit you at you know, like you said, a kind of a key time in your life, and then you decided to go into a psychology um, major. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, I was a psych major with a business minor because for a little while I was thinking about maybe doing like marketing or like organizational psychology okay. or something like that. Okay. Um, but uh, I just fell in love with the clinical part of it. You know, like the contact with patients and clients and thinking about different people's stories and stuff so then when I was looking at grad school I I started looking into sports psychology but at the time and again this is this is even a couple years ago things changed so quickly time when I was looking at sports psychology so much of it focused on performance and I was almost like offended by that sports psychology needed to be so much more and I didn't want to be a part of something that I felt wasn't doing what athletes really need. It was like misleading to athletes. Like, oh, you're noticing you're not feeling well? Well, let me fly in and, um, you know, talk to you about how to improve your jump shot, and then your whole life will be better. Like, that's, that's fueling the problem. And obviously the field of sports psychology has completely changed since then and probably was different at that time, and that was just a little bit of research that I did that gave me that impression. Um, but that's initially the reason that I said, like, I can't I can't get into that. I can't um right. I can't get behind it. It felt
1: really inauthentic to you.
2: Yeah, yeah, because I knew it was like, all right, well, it the the name sounds nice cuz I like sports and I think we need to focus on psychology, but the way it manifests in the sport world is really not what I think it should be doing. Right. So I was like, all right, how can I how can I go about this? And and then also the real life things come in, like, all right, well, this isn't an actual job. I'm creating this thing in my head about what I think would be good and what I would like to do. But how am I going to pay my bills and like find a job that yeah. offers benefits when it doesn't even exist? And so um, so I went the route of um, mental health counseling because I felt like it was something that I could get a regular job with, but that I could also utilize to reach athletes in the way that I wanted to reach them. Um, okay. So, you know, like it's it's a, a licensed profession. I can um, have a private practice. Um, so it's all of the things that sports psychologists do without having to buy into the message that I was getting from sports psychology at the time.
1: So you uh, market yourself as the ability to do both? Because do you have a private practice? Is that what you're saying?
2: I did. I had a private practice for a short period of time since um started working uh, part-time with two D1 schools in the area. Um, oh, awesome. I do, like, team and group work with one um, and then do more individualized services with another. <laughs> and then I do, like, um, like workshops and stuff for uh, high schools and, um, you know, just a more educational. I work with, uh, I think, a big part of the work doesn't need to be with the athletes but with uh, the coaching staff and administration so i do a lot of like trainings and stuff with them and um you know because i think that that's a big a big part of the picture as well like when i was when i was coming back from my injury um my coach would uh put me in a bright yellow penny um because i wasn't allowed to uh play contact but she would like mm-hmm. throw me into like little small sided games and stuff just to like mm-hmm. uh you know, kind of get me used to it and everything. She would say, all right, like as a joke, she would say, all right, Danny's in the yellow penny, she's an invalid, nobody touched the invalid, and that was like the running joke and the running, like, word that she used. And, again, at the time, I wasn't aware of how much it impacted me, but that was like a self-esteem thing for me. Like,
1: I One Hundred
2: that became my identity, a part of my yeah. identity and a part of yeah. my recovery and my mentality, and, and it just got tucked away somewhere. And, you know, I really had to work through it. And actually, a different coach Later in life, called me, and this is a coach that I actually work with professionally now. Um, mm-hmm. He he continues to coach. Um, but he took me aside, and he was playing with us during a, a scrimmage, and he megged me. And like I said, I'm, I'm really tall, so I was always making excuses for my mistakes because I felt inadequate. So he pulled me aside after practice one day, and he was like, Danny, like, what's going on? And this is the first time someone called me on right. my patterns, you know? going on and i was like what do you mean he's like um and i was like a joker humor was another way for me to cope and he was like right you know i megged you in practice today and like rather than just recovering either you know making it better or not saying anything at all he's like you like ma- you stopped you made a scene and like you cracked a joke about like oh meg the tall girl it's always easy my legs are longer the space is bigger like i don't even know what i was saying I was yeah like, doing some type of bullshit to make to make up for my mistake yeah like, what's that about he's like it's not about your legs or your speed or whatever he's like it's about you got megs next time stand differently you know like defend better like, right what is that and it was like that was like such an epiphany for me because it was the first time that someone called and he didn't in like a gentle supportive but like yeah stern enough way where it's familiar and how i had been dealt with my whole life in sport but like supportive enough to for somebody to notice that something was up, you know? Yeah. And that was that's, like a really big epiphany for me. And I was like, why do I feel the need to explain when I get beat?
1: I uh-huh. never had to
2: do that before. I uh-huh. would turn around and get the ball back. You know, like why do I have to explain myself? And
1: Yeah, I that's a that really good like, point.
2: And that and was I, like, later later on in my career and that was I think a real turning point for me.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And that that he had the ability to reach reach you like that, and you know the the with the right words, I think that is you're so right that we need to provide better tools for parents and coaches and even teammates. Like, how do we react when a player is coming back? Like one of my pet peeves when I was coming back from injury is the coaches will be always say injured players get the balls, and I'm like, yep. you're just reminding us that we're injured. Like. Right, we know right. we're on the sideline. We can't play. Right. Right. And now, like, you know, just say make sure you help make sure you help out right. shagging the balls. Like, okay, d- just don't just the, the what we say and he really was talking about just creating some content with giving that we could give to parents and give to coaches and, and players about um the mental the mental side of recovery, like how do parents support their kids? Because this is, you know, a lot of the times they're pushing for their kids to get scholarships, and right. um, and it's not the kids, like, the kids, of course, want that, and they want to help their parents out, and their parents are trying to do what's best for the kids, but sometimes they just need better tools to help enable the kid to feel confident and not feel like they have to do it under pressure of, like, proving to their parents that they love them.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that from from the athletes themselves all the time like not only do I have to deal with my coach's response to a perceived poor performance but then I have to deal with my dad's poor poor response or
1: or whatever mm-hmm. and
2: then and then after that my response is a result of my coaches and my parents mm-hmm. you know the, yeah. the kids like internal voice is reflected off of the voices they're hearing from other people Yeah you know so mm-hmm. that's yeah, that's a, that's definitely a, a big a big part yeah. of um, a big part of it, and it's and it's hard with with some, with some of like the colleges and universities that aren't aren't on that page yet, and it's a it's like we have to do this dance to try and reach them to let them know that there's some work to be done on their end, um, right? But in a way that doesn't turn them off so much that they you know turn the entire service away. A lot of them want they're like we have these flawed athletes come and fix them. <laughs> they'll see you a half hour a week, fix them.
1: Oh, and gosh. it's
2: like, okay, that's great that you're identifying there's an issue, you want to provide a support to them.
1: Mhm. Uh-huh.
2: And, and I can do that, the individual work.
0: But uh-huh. there is, like,
2: this bigger picture that needs to be addressed as well, and that needs to extend to all of these other board services, you know. And I yeah. think, like I said, things are changing. I think the response to this stuff has, like, like in the 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 places that I work now, like people are so like gung ho about it. Like they want to learn about it. Like they're okay with not being experts at everything, and you know what I mean. Like right. I think it's right. um, I think it's received in a different way now, which is
1: mm-hmm. well. I mean, I I love your story and how you got back, how you learned, um, kind of your other passion in life. You know, to help people through the traumatic instances and. I I love everything you're doing and I think it it could be really helpful.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds like it would be an awesome opportunity and just kind of like browsing through your website and stuff and seeing like what what things you have going on already, I think um I think it would kind of like fit seamlessly into it.
0: So many good things happening with Danny Burns. The things that she was talking about, I think, can relate to a lot of us as we go through injury recovery and how we mentally get through that and how we cope because a lot of the times we're leaving our coping mechanism of our sport and we don't know what to do beyond that. So I'm excited because Danny is gonna be helping a lot with some of the stuff that we're doing with the ACL Club probably coming back on Show Your Scars at some point to talk about some of the things that, how we can help you, because I think Show Your Scars in general, yes, it is about overcoming injuries and sharing your strength, and to overcome injuries, we have to really think about the mental and emotional side, and so that's what I'm so excited about with Danny is because she is, you know, she believes in what we're doing, she knows how powerful our brains are and the recovery process so excited to have Danny as a guest and continuing working with her through the ACL club and um, hopefully some more stuff with show your scars I hope you guys liked this episode and you chose to listen to it because I think you can learn a lot through what Danny had to say and it's really cool to hear her story and all that she's overcome so As always, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your time. And if you have a couple extra minutes and you want to review the podcast, if you send me a screenshot of your review, I will send you a little gift. So email me info at theaclclub.com and I will get that gift out to you, a free refocus band, which is so cool. Talk about mental strength and power and refocusing your brain. It is perfect for this. So thank you guys again for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope this is helping. And go out there, share your strength with one another, and show your scars.